The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com dash spirit park. Luther, I think, gave us the formula for how to handle these things. It's you stand on Scripture alone and let the chips fall where they may. We're on the we're on the same side. We may disagree on certain theological issues, yeah, but, I, but I, we're I, on I, the same I, side. No, not at all. And, and look how nice we are to each other. No, I enjoy this and uh, appreciate all you do out there for the Lord. It's like you know what? What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on. When you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Uh, we're not supposed to be blind sheep. We're supposed to be friends. And so, just to no matter who it is, this goes for everybody. Um, you're, I'm a, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. I, I love watching you and I love hearing what you have to say and I think you're a, a great blessing to the body of Christ. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Conversations with Jeff. Uh, this week we've got a really special guest. I was actually just on his podcast a couple weeks ago, so some of you guys may have uh, caught him over there on the Wax Museum podcast. But we got uh, J- John Howie. That's 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 what you go by, right, John Howie? Because I know your, yes. your your Twitter handle is Johnny Howe, which always throws oh, a wrinkle man, in there. Yeah. Totally. You know, I'm realizing that's confusing people because yeah. I, I actually. There is an author who was asking podcasters to reach out mm-hmm. to him, um, and um, he said that he would send free copies of his book to these people, right? And so I gave him my full name, my address, and everything, and then I got an email. I got in the mail. I got a book, and it was like probably two months later, and it said Johnny How as two words, and I'm like, oh, that is funny. <laughs> I should have taken a photo of that because yeah. it's like. It actually was just the handle that was available on Twitter, but I kind of like it. Yeah. And I was going to use it as like a musician stage name, but there you go. Well, never well, came to fruition. Well, what's interesting is I feel like so many names come up just because of what's available on Twitter or what, you know, what's available on GoDaddy for like a URL. It's, totally. it's actually kind of funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, well, you know, right. just wanted to start out, you know, as we kind of get started with the convo, but just give you a chance to share your testimony, how you became a Christian, what's your, what's your story? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a long story. <laughs> but <laughs> L- uh, Luckily, there's no um, time limit on these things. <laughs> yeah, sweet. Okay, good. Except my bedtime. Okay, but, there you uh, go. <laughs> um, so... I actually, I, I remember I was five years old, and I was terrified of hell, really, I think is what it boiled down to. And I asked Jesus into my heart. And I was like, 
from that point forward, I had a lot of zeal. Like I was like witnessing to my friends at school all the time because I went to public school back then. Um, and then like as I got older in elementary, I ended up going to a Christian school. Um, and that kind of took me out of the public school scene for like a good like four years. And when I returned to the public school, it was such a shock to my system. Like, it was like, it was a bit of an identity crisis. Like, I was trying to figure out who I was. Um, and so I kind of, I guess, pushed the envelope. I was the kid that, like, just got in trouble enough that they wouldn't call my parents. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I remember, you know, some of my friends said, do you really believe that stuff? I just changed the word there. But, yeah, do you really believe that stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. And, um I think that was the first time I even questioned it. Um, and so I was like 12, 13, and I'm questioning my faith for the first time. And um, I, I was watching this movie, IQ. Um, not the greatest movie in the world, but I remember <laughs> there was a Albert Einstein in it. And he said something along the lines of, question everything. And I was like... Well, I'm a Christian. I can't do that. And it took me a good part of high school to realize I can. I can question everything. And um, as I started to question whether I believe that stuff, um, <laughs> I, I saw this invisible hand in my life. And it was like every time I became complacent, um, something would happen that would kind of jog me out of that. And I'd be turning to God again because it was like, I, I need your help, right? And I saw that pattern in my life. Um, now, uh, later on, I actually got involved a little bit more in the charismatic movement. And, um, and it, it was just really as a result of a relationship I was in. And um, I had prophecies over me. There was like a prophecy that I would be a youth pastor. And when I laid hands on people, incredible things would happen. And, you know, I, I prophesied over me once um, when I was a teacher later on in adulthood. You know, it was like when John leaves teaching, he's going to be a worship pastor. So I had this like huge kind of sense of calling which I was like, am I living up to this? And I started to feel kind of this heaviness over that. Um, and then I also struggled with guilt over my sins. And it was like, am, am I really saved? And at that point, and this is probably when I was about 30. <laughs> see, we're, we're clipping along. There we go. Um, I, was, I was struggling with that guilt, wondering if I was really saved. Um, I went into the hospital um, with stomach pain. Um, and it turned out to be appendicitis. Um, now they did a whole bunch of tests in the process. Um, we got free healthcare, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get political. Yeah, there um, <laughs> but <laughs> it did take a while to get in though. Yeah. Um, and they did a whole bunch of tests, including like ultrasound and all this stuff. And, um, I, my appendix ruptured and when I woke up, I looked, I, I thought about it, and I'm like, I just about died. But yet, 
I knew in kind of my deepest being that I would have been okay. And I've had assurance of my salvation ever since then. And I've, I've said this multiple times on my other podcast, the ADD Masterminds. <laughs> There's a plug. Yeah. Um, I recommend near-death experiences to everyone. Yeah, I mean, it's kind it's, of a it's kind of a joke, but it's kind of serious too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it it it. I mean, it for for anything else, all it it really just it puts things in perspective. I'm sure. Yes. Yes, it does. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so I had this assurance. Um, I think I still had that weight on my shoulders, though, that that, that lofty kind of, oh, I'm supposed to be this big thing, right? I'm supposed to be this youth pastor that lays hands on people and magic stuff happens, right? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so um, I went to this men's retreat, and um, there was this this great... um, pastor rob newschwander i don't know if i'm saying his name right but um he was he was speaking at this men's retreat and he was talking about behavior modification because he was taking like psychology at that time and um he said you know to his professor he's like um you know this whole behavior modification stuff it's garbage and the professor's like how so and he's like toothpaste and um it's got a hole in it, and you squeeze it, and when you squeeze it, the toothpaste comes out of that hole, right? So then you plug that hole, and then you start squeezing it again, but then the toothpaste comes out of another hole, and then it's like, and then you plug it, and he said behavior modification is continuously plugging that hole, and it keeps coming out, and he said, the problem is the toothpaste, and so I was like, okay, I, I got some anger issues. I got some depression issues. And like the pastor had said, I want you to pray and ask God, what is your toothpaste? So I prayed. And Holy Spirit said to me, significance. I was like, okay. And and it's weird because when I tell this story, a lot of people assume what I mean is like significance in the eyes of man. But it's like I wanted significance in the eyes of God. And it's like God was saying, you're already significant. Before you do a thing, you're already significant. And that was a hard thing for me to learn. Mm-hmm. And I actually went to a second men's retreat, too, that was formative to me. Um, and I had the opportunity to lead worship at this one. Music was a big part of what I felt my ministry should be. Um, and, um, the whole, um, men's retreat centered on identity. And, um, this pastor said that you could be in the middle of your like worst possible sin, right? And you could just stop raise your hands and worship and God will take you back. And that, that was jarring to me because when you talk about like having guilt and feeling like, no, no, I got to feel like garbage for a week because I saw that movie. I shouldn't have. Right. And it's like, no, you can stop right now. Be forgiven and worship. Yep. And so, I mean, this, the struggle with, you know, the guilt of sin, right. 
was continuing to plague me, but it was starting to fade because of my near-death experience. My struggle with significance, I didn't really know the road out of that, but I knew that's where God was taking me. Um, so I, I was writing songs. I was showing people songs that I wrote, and they're like, oh, that's well and good. People at the church would not recognize it as anything special. Maybe it wasn't very good. I don't know. But it was very, very painful for me. Um, and so I hit roadblocks. Um, they didn't even give me a mic at church. I'm like, was my singing not good? Um, <laughs> and I just, I didn't feel like I had support in what I felt was my calling. Um, and it got to a point where I got so frustrated that I was like, I am walking away from God. Didn't tell anybody this. Um, and I went through Christmas basically as a cynic. I, I don't know if I'd say I was an atheist, but I was just like, God, I'm done with you. And I could sense even in that moment that God's like, oh, okay, <laughs> you go ahead. I'll be here waiting for you when you come back, right? Right, right. I could just feel the love of the Father right in that moment. And um, it took until like after Christmas, I, I was back at my house and my little girl looks at me and she says, Daddy, can you read me this book? And this book was titled Thank You. And it was this, this children's book that my friend Byron wrote. Byron had died of cancer about a year before this happened. And um, while he was in hospice, he read this book to me. And he's like, thank you for all the birds. Thank you for, like, there's all these things that he lists in there that he's thankful for. And so when my little girl said to me, um, can you read me this book? I thought about Byron and I'm like, what am I complaining about? Like, what is my problem? I'm not this big thing that I'm supposed to be. So, yeah, my psychologist told me I'm gifted, and that's why people don't always understand me. And I, I think up until then in my life, I had always thought I was less than. It's like people don't understand me because I was less than. But I didn't want to take the term gifted and just be like, oh, that means I'm better than. Um, and so I, I think about, like, what I The way I think about gifting now is kind of like being a bass player. Um, I play bass on the worship team. Um, and I, I sense that like playing bass is like one of those instruments where it's like you either have it or you don't. Like there's a certain level of understanding of music where you just feel it. And that can't be taught. And I'm like, there's just some people that have that. And it's not that it makes them better it's just they just happen to have it right and um so in conjunction with you know kind of the psychologist telling me that i'm praying with my brother-in-law my brother-in-law is a great guy to pray with you know and he'll 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 give you some words from the holy spirit and it's very cool right and he said to me you know you know how they say everybody's unique and he said john you're actually like legit i mean you're unique like, you've got something other people don't. And it's like, you have this ability to see things from other people's points of view. I mean, like, I'm not interested in other people's points of view, but yet you are. Like, you you seek it out and you try to understand, like, fully understand how people think. And he's like, that that is a gifting. And that is, that is something God's going to use. And 
So, yeah, it was good to know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, and, it's uh, always a good thing to over, know. <laughs> yeah. And then over the summer, I read this book that was just life-changing to me by David Brooks. It's mm-hmm. called The Road to Character. And if you listen to my podcast, you probably heard me talk about this a hundred times. But, hey, I actually wrote the quote down this time, so I'm not going to make it up. There you go. All right. In 1950, the Gallup organization asked high school seniors if they considered themselves to be a very important person. At that point, 12% said yes. (laughs) Same question was asked in 2005. And that time, it wasn't 12% who considered themselves very important. It was 80%. Wow. So what has changed in our society you know, where we're at this point now where 80% think they're special or that they're very important. I mean, I think it's good for us to feel a certain level of importance, but I think there's the, we have an overinflated sense of importance with this self-esteem movement. And I think that was something that really needed to hit me to understand that it's okay to be unnoticed. And it's okay, you know, like part of the gifting and the gift in affliction, <laughs> you know, right? Because on the, on the other side of a gift, there's an affliction. Um, and so when you, when you meet somebody who's got some kind of a crazy gifting, you know, like Robin Williams was like a phenomenal actor, phenomenal comic, but he was afflicted. That was the flip side of his gifting. Right. And so my, I guess for me, now I'm just thinking of this now. I'm going off my notes here. Um, <laughs> um, for me, I seek to understand other people, but I'm very rarely understood. Interesting. And so the affliction side of it is that people don't really understand me or understand my heart. But in reading this book... Um, it kind of talked a lot about just like not talking about yourself, right? It's like uh, George W. Bush, his his mother always told him not to talk about himself. So he would like edit his speeches so it didn't have I in it at all. Because if he did a speech that mentioned himself in it, his mother would call him and say, George, you were talking about yourself again. I don't know what kind of <laughs> accent that was, but hey, we'll, 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 so, we'll run with it. yeah so but yeah anyways so i was thinking a lot about how you know like it's like how do i take myself out of the equation which became the total opposite of that heavy weight of purpose that i once felt i kind of got to that point where i'm like okay so really all i gotta do is take whatever god places in my hand and be faithful with that Because honestly, we never know our impact. And if you're bent on impact, you're going to be dissatisfied your whole life. Yeah. Integrity is to do what needs to be done regardless of outcome. And that's become my focus. Mm -hmm. Well, I was was going to ask because I was just going to ask really quick because I know Mm -hmm. you're you're talking about like the self-esteem and, you know, you're coming to this realization on this. But but what what do you think? And you had also mentioned the difference between the statistics from however many years ago to today. What do you think is actually leading mm-hmm. towards that drastic change? 
Well, it's funny because it's back in 2005, so it wasn't really at the heat of social media. I would be intrigued to see how much higher it is now yeah. <laughs> with social media. But that's a very good question. Um, I do think it's a cultural shift, though, because we we went from, you know, parents who really told kids that it is not right to talk about yourself. Like, it is not polite to talk about yourself. And I don't think those parents were very encouraging to their kids, right? I I don't think they were great at being encouraging to their kids. And so there was kind of a pendular shift where psychology was telling people, oh, you gotta, you gotta build self-esteem in your kid and tell your kid that they're special and all that, right? And I, I don't think it was so much my parents that did that to me, um, as it was church culture that did that to me. And it's like, John, you have a calling on your life. You're gonna lay hands on people and amazing things are gonna happen. And it's like, okay, but now I feel like I have to be that. Yeah. Right. And not everybody's going to be that like somebody's somebody's got to sweep the floor. Right. Like there's not. I don't know. Like it, I it's a hard thing to teach, you know, to teach someone that it's OK to not be noticed. Yeah. Because, I mean, you raise your children, you want to tell them you're going to do great things. And, but and- I almost. And when you think yeah, about it, that sermon doesn't really sell. <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> most sermons, you know, they're, they're building you up. They're talking about your significance yeah. and that sort of thing. So there, there's that side of it, too. Well, and I mean, again, like significance is one of those double edged swords, right? Because I, I felt the weight of significance and I I don't have it anymore. And it's like so liberating. I don't need to walk into a room and show people who I am. I'm just going to be who I am. And if people don't notice it, that's okay. Right? Yeah, exactly. And so it's like I went from saying I'm going to I'm gonna write songs that are going to be heard around the world and you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something huge. I'm going to change so many people's lives to now I feel like God's just calling me to be a bridge just to nudge people's thinking a little bit. And I do that, you know, in my two podcasts, but also in my day to day. Like right now, I'm not I'm not at home. I'm I'm out on the road. And I'm working in the oil industry right now. I rub shoulders with all these people that nobody from my, you know, the city I come from, nobody nobody knows any of these people. So I have contact with people and I'm able to just nudge a little. And so just, you know, it's planting seeds. Mm-hmm. And I guess something I've been thinking a lot about is what is what does humble evangelism look like? Because I feel like a lot of apologetics is kind of, I know everything and you need to hear what I have to say, yeah. right? That's true. And it's like, I. what does humble evangelism look like? Uh, humble evangelism involves actually listening to people. Yeah. And obviously listening to the Holy Spirit, because there are opportunities to plant seeds. 
Yeah. Well, it, it's really fast. actually sensitive to his leading. Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually it's really fascinating now that now that you bring that up, and I'm looking back at like apologetics classes that I would take and and things that we learn mm-hmm. in church, and it's always this is how you prove them wrong, and this is how you show that you're right, mm-hmm. as opposed to yeah. saying, well, what do you believe, and then let's let's follow that thought process and let's discuss and debate. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a difference there. Yeah, and I said something really weird in ADD Masterminds that probably sounded like heresy. It maybe might have been. Um, <laughs> I, I, I said to uh, I said to my co-host, I'm like, I just feel like all I got to do is grow the Jesus that's in people already. Mm-hmm. And and he's like, well, not everybody has Jesus in them. And I'm like, well, it's like it's like the image of God is already in people. And you know, I, I don't know how scripturally correct that is. But I was talking to my brother-in-law later about it, and he's like, well, there's a certain measure of faith that every person has. And I'm like, I've never heard it put that way. But I, that's what I see, right? Like, there's people that already have kind of something about the heart of God that's drawing them. And it's like, okay, so can we build on that? Instead of walking into the room and saying, hey, forget everything you know, everything you believe is garbage, you need me. And it's like, I don't want to be like you. You're a jerk. Mm-hmm. Well, right? yeah, I mean, the Bible even says, like, every, everybody has everybody has the truth, like, uh, stamped on their heart. Like, everybody know. Everybody deep mm-hmm. down, they should know. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I, I get what you're saying there. I mean, at the, at the same time, on the flip side, you've also got the theological side of, you know, people are clearly lost and they don't have Christ. Mm-hmm. But I, I totally get what you're saying in the sense of, like, there is that truth implanted in everybody where nobody's without excuse everybody should have enough truth to be able to make that decision for christ yeah yeah and it's like it's like everybody is gonna have opportunity Mm -hmm. um and it's a matter whether they choose to reject him or not right right so i guess over the last couple of years i've been really moving from being so into musical diversity for the sake of writing music to intellectual diversity for the sake of coming up with different thoughts and so i'm reading a lot and um it's kind of in with this goal of like creating new ways of thinking and it's so it's like when you've got like people that mash like different genres together I feel like we could take different thoughts and mash them together. Like most recently I've been reading Mark Manson's book. I can't even say the title on a Christian podcast. <laughs> I do, okay, so he's a guy that wrote The Subtle Art of Not Giving or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're probably familiar with that book. I, you know, so, I, think, I think I actually just saw that book in the airport when I was in the airport the other day. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Um I mean, basically, the premise is, like, you've only got so many things you can care about, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like, you got to select which ones you're going to care about. So his new book is, Everything is blank. Same, mm-hmm. same cuss word, right? right? Right. A book about hope, which I'm like, is this the most bizarre title? But um, it's really interesting. I've actually been tweeting out, like, little uh, quotes from it. Um but what really hit me, actually, I'll read you a quote from it. <laughs> um, he actually came up with this idea of, so 
if Newton, instead of doing science, what if he did psychology, which I guess is the science, but instead of doing physics, if he went into psychology, here's something he thinks Emo Newton would have said. All people are more the same than they are different. We all mostly want the same things out of life, but those slight differences generate emotion, and emotion generates a sense of importance. Therefore, we come to perceive our differences as disproportionately more important than our similarities. And this is the true tragedy of man, that we are doomed to perpetual conflict over the slight difference. That's, that's, so, that's, pretty, that's pretty wise right there. So we often negate the fact that we have emotions. Um, we assume that the other side is playing off emotions, but we're playing off of facts. And I think that's where we err, because we just want to throw facts in people's faces. Um, in reality, though, I, I think Emo Newton is right that there's a a lot of similarities between us and other people, way more than we'd like to admit. But because of our emotional state, those differences are seen as way bigger than they are. Um, and so I, I think, I think we need to become more aware of our emotions. And it's funny because that's something People on the right don't want to hear, um, you know, like it, there's a lack of empathy. And I mean, it kind of goes back to the series that we did on the Wax Museum, Fundamentalism and the Fear of Empathy. And I kind of theorized that like the reason why, actually it wasn't me, it was Kevin Millard that theorized the reason why fundamentalists lack empathy is because they're scared that having empathy for someone will change their mind. And it's like, man, if you believe the truth, not like being curious is not going to change your mind. It's kind of like that. It goes back to that question, everything. So maybe, maybe in that conversation with someone you disagree with, don't be afraid to question everything because that will lead you to the truth. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the, the thing that the thing is, is that, we should be questioning everything, and it's definitely not something yeah. that's popular amongst the fundamental side of Christianity, which I come no, out of, and, no. I, and I'm probably yeah. still a part of to a certain degree, you know? Um, yeah. But at the same time, I think that I've been wrestling with this idea, and I've been kind of, like, testing it out, especially, like, on this podcast and, and just in my writing and that sort of thing of just, okay, so you, you put an idea out there. But then you need to put it up against somebody that disagrees with that with that idea yeah. and see if it holds up to the test. Because if it doesn't hold up to the test, yeah. then you got to rethink it. And then you go back to scripture and then you see, okay, where was I wrong yeah. or where am I missing it kind of a thing. And I think that's what a lot of people mm -hmm. on the right are really missing. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, there's clearly – it's funny. I like to call like the you know leftists that are just as um, – that cling to their convictions just as strongly fundamentalisms or fundamentalists. Um, but like, I, I, that's not supposed to be the correct term. I'm not even sure what to call them. I, I, I should come up with a term. I need to come up with a term for that because they're not really being 
they're not clinging to the fundamentals of liberalism by saying you must be pro-choice, you must be pro-LGBT, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's that list of things that it's like, oh my gosh, it's like talking to a religious person. If you disagree with them at all, it's like friends off, right? Right. The empathy ends. You're a racist, Trump-supporting, fundamentalist Christian you're too far gone, right? Like it's, that's it. Right. But it's like the same way that, you know, conservative Christians are willing to write those people off. They're also writing you off. Right. Yep. And so, um, but it's like humility. I, and I, I keep thinking, you know, like, it's like, that's something that's so lost. But, I mean, how much does the Bible talk about a haughty heart or pride or, you know, like it's it, humility is like why we come to Christ. We come to Christ because we know he's so much greater and that we can't do it on our own. So it's like, how can we be proud Christians that know everything? It's like, no, yeah, no, no, we should be the most humble and kind people around. Mm hmm. Well, it's it's really it's yeah. really fascinating how because I come out of the Calvinist camp and the more reformed crowd, right? right? And mm-hmm. you know, and so where we believe that you know God is sovereign, he he sovereignly chose us before the foundations of the earth, and he's actually the one who who saved us. And yeah. and so what? But what I found is that there's more pride and more arrogance in the Calvinist camp than I've seen in a lot of other camps. And what I'm in. For me, I just keep thinking, but to me, shouldn't that make you the most humble in the sense that you're saved not because of yourself. You're saved in spite of yourself. And it literally has nothing to do with anything that you can say or do or behave or whatever it is. But then you still have these guys that are just, are just prideful beyond belief. And we're just like, you're no different than the non-Christian, except that God chose to save you. Mm-hmm. So why are you prideful? It just, it doesn't, that doesn't yeah. even make sense to me. Well, it's, I mean, it's gifted, right? And you can take gifted two ways. Mm -hmm. You can be like gifted. Oh, that makes me smarter than other people. Or you can be like, so you mean I didn't do anything to understand math better than other people? Like I just was given this? Like that's, how can I be prideful about something I was just given? Yeah. I remember um, I was listening to a conversation with Jordan Peterson. He's one of one of those wonderful controversial people that I like. Um, And uh, there was somebody who was at one of his rallies or rallies. I don't know. One of his (laughs) places that he speaks, whatever his events. Yes. yes. Um, One of his events. And uh, this person, you know, comes up to him and says, so um, when you consider how like white European you know, government systems, you know, have been far superior to any other, you know, system on the earth, right? You know, we talk about democracy, we talk about, you know, he's like, wouldn't you, couldn't you say that you could be proud to be a white U- European? And Dr. Peterson looks at him and says, because it's one of those moments where Dr. Peterson could just agree with him and then he could be the white supremacist. The left says he is, right? Yeah. But no, Peterson looks at him and he's like, To me, it doesn't make any sense for anybody to take pride 
in something they didn't achieve themselves. You were born with this. Why would you be proud of it? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that that's it. So yeah. if salvation is something that I didn't even earn by, um, well, sorry. Yeah, if salvation is something that I was just given by God, like I didn't even choose God. He chose me. I didn't have any choice in the matter. Then like, wow, like how can I be proud of that? Yeah. <laughs> right? And it, it's such a mistaken notion to be like, well, he chose me because I'm better than everyone else. It's like, no, no, that, no. This just means that there's no, nothing special that you did that you can be proud of. Mm-hmm. Just like being born with a certain skin color. Yeah, Ex- yeah. Ex- exactly. But yeah, like we're, I feel like within both secular society and within Christianity, within the church, we've become so polarized yeah. where we can't have, we can't even yeah. have like this kind of conversation. And I just, yeah. I just feel like everybody's just preaching into their echo chambers, preaching to the choir and nobody's actually mm-hmm. accomplishing anything because nobody's willing to talk with the other side. <laughs> I mean, how we, how, how yeah. do we, how do we even get anywhere like that? Well, I think, you know, like, oh, man, who was it? I think it was Andy Stanley that wrote a book called The Curious Christian. Mm -hmm. And he said, like, what we're missing from Christianity more than anything is curiosity. And I've grown into a very curious person. And so I legit, if I walked up to, like, a Satanist on the street, I'd be like, so what is your deal? You know, like, I'm like, I don't want to punch the guy or yell at him. I'm like, I just want to understand, like, why? Mm-hmm. What was like that? What was that meme? You know, it's like, uh, why would I want to worship a god that lost in a fiddle contest to <laughs> some redneck? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. But but I I just, I'm genuinely curious about people. And, like, when you talk about, like, echo chambers and just getting a rah-rah from your side, I'm like, that is so cheap. Like, I, I don't understand how that can bring anybody joy. I mean, it's much more interesting to have a conversation with someone who totally disagrees with you and find a way to be civil and find commonalities and then, you know, branch out into what you disagree on. And you can walk away saying, yeah, we disagree on this. We agreed to disagree on this, right? But it's like, it's far more interesting. I mean, it's like people that listen to one genre of music. Like, I don't understand. It's like, I only listen to pop all the time. It's like, yeah, pop really doesn't really have a whole lot to say. Right. There's not a whole lot of innovation there. Like, what a boring life you lead. Sorry, pop. Music well, it's, it's it's basically let's just throw some loops together and then uh, we'll we'll talk over it with yeah. autotune. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And it, sing about stuff that you don't really mean. I mean, clearly no. And I think that's the problem with Christian radio right now is that you get kind of the same sense. It's like, oh yeah, oh you're singing about having a bad day. I'm sorry, I don't think you know what a bad day is, Christian artist. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the feel, right? So yeah. it's. But yeah, it's like it's like your your feed right now is just a pop song. You're just saying stuff that's been said over and over again. I mean, that's that's all you're doing. And you get applause from your own side and it's like 
what is it? You know, why am why is the scripture failing me right now? But it's like Jesus said, you know, oh, so you love your friends. Yeah, like anybody can do that. The heathens do that. Like it's not it's not hard. But loving your enemies, I mean, that's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. And so why aren't we as Christians on the forefront of that? Why why are we playing into any of this polarization? Why aren't we, you know, going to the most pro-choice person ever and figuring out a way to actually have a legit conversation with them and love our neighbor as ourselves? Yeah, I mean... It, I, I I really don't get why nobody does that at all. I mean, I mean, like let's just yeah. even let's just even take the abortion side of it. The pro yeah. the pro life people only talk to the pro life mm-hmm. people. The pro choice people uh-huh. only talk to the pro choice people. So what are we really accomplishing? Yeah. There's a lot of ruckus. There's a lot of noise. Yeah. But are you really convincing anybody if you don't talk to the other side? Yeah. And I mean, so what's happened now is pro-choice has taken it to the nth degree to where it's like, well, maybe infanticide, right? And then pro-life has taken it to the nth degree. It's like, yeah, so you got an 11-year-old that was raped. Yeah, don't care. She's still got to have the baby, right? And it's like there's yeah, – it's like it's not even a question. And and. I trust me, I get where they're coming from. Like, it's just like, why should the baby pay for, you know, whatever, right? I get it. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, it's interesting because there's, it's just, it's pushing people to the extremes and there's no, there's no compassion there. And I remember I, I tweeted once, actually, I said, I'm pro-life, but I also care about unwed mothers. And someone replied to me, and said, so you're really pro-life? And I'm like, yeah, I, I guess maybe it's pro-life without exception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I really don't like death. Like, right. even, you know, war, and we talk about just war. I'm like, I, I don't even know what a just war is. Um, and you guys just had Memorial Day, right? Yep. And and I was thinking about, like, when we had Remembrance Day, I was really struggling with this idea because there's a lot of kind of the glorification of soldiers, and I get it. Like, I, that the idea of doing their job is like scary, right? I get it. I'm like, I don't know who has the courage to do that kind of job. Right. But it's like freedom is paid at a price. Right. But that price is our soldiers, the enemy soldiers and all the civilians in between, like our freedom is paid in blood, but it's not just the blood of our guys. It's like everybody's blood. And it's like, what a messed up world we live in where it's just like there's blood, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, this man really wanted to do this with this girl, and now there needs to be blood, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, that's what it boils down to, right? And it's like, man, like if we could take the message of the gospel it's the cure for all of this, right? It is. It tr- like, truly is. There's so many people with identity identity crises, right? And when we talk about like stuff like toxic masculinity, which is a great term the left likes to use and the right doesn't like to talk about, mm-hmm. um, you know, if toxic masculinity is really a thing, 
Um, it's basically men that are addicted to alcohol, addicted to drugs, addicted to power, addicted to sex. And I'm like, what is all that coming from? I think that it's a lack of identity and it's a lack of being able to handle their emotional states. And so what is what is the work that the Holy Spirit can do to dismantle this? Because I think a lot of problems in our world could be gone from that. I think we would have less unwanted pregnancies yeah. if men were able to get their stuff together. Oh, no, I, I, I totally agree. And so agree. I'm like... Yeah. It's it's sad to me that we're waiting until we're at the point where we've got a 12-year-old that's pregnant and we're like, "All right, so what do we do here?" It's like, "Can we just back up and not get her into that situation to begin with?" I'd rather have that conversation, it's a much better conversation. Right. But that one is not as politically sexy, maybe that's not the right word, but it's not, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not as it's not as politically charged, you know? It's like abstinence abstinence <laughs> like basically 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 you're you're, you're not yeah. you're not that's not what your campaign's gonna be as as you're trying to get elected yeah. you know but 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 i but I, yeah. but I feel like part of the problem is you know because again i'm coming from the conservative side politically as well as uh within mm. christianity and all that and one right. of the criticisms that i've been having of the republicans and the conservatives here in the states is i feel like all we're doing is just reacting to the left and to the democrats yeah as opposed to yeah, actually you saying that, yeah, as, as opposed to let's just actually like put forth some of our own ideas and let's actually deal with these mm-hmm. things before it gets to the essentially the conclusion, which is where we're at on almost every single issue right now. Cause I feel like what we're, what's yeah. happening is CNN or the Democrats or AOC will say something outrageous and then all the conservatives yeah. just pounce and then somebody else says something yeah. outrageous and then we just pounce and then it's just like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Of, of course we're not getting anything done because they're just jumping all over the place and then we're just trying to keep up. And it's like, that's not how to handle things. That's not how to have a rational conversation. Well, Nate, I think what I'm realizing too is we're raised that is disenfranchised with everything. And they're kind of looking at this and saying, you guys, they see the polarization. And it's like, you guys suck. Like, I don't want anything to do with politics. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're raising a generation that's like saying everything's terrible, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're kind of looking at it and they're saying like, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. And I'm like, okay, okay, guys, I like, I like that you're seeing what's wrong with us. That's great. Now, if you want to be really smart, say what's wrong with us and come up with a solution. And I think we need more of that. It's not, you know, people are like, well... I don't want to be those people that are saying everything's okay. I don't want to, I don't want to be the pop song, right? Yeah. It's like, everything's okay. But the opposite of that, you know, that people are trying to do is like, this is what's wrong. And I feel like that's a lot of what the Republicans are doing is like, well, this is what's wrong with the Democrats. And it's like, okay, but like, no, 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 you need to say what's better. Right. Right. And oh, man, I just, and I think that's, what we need to do when we're spreading the gospel too is like, instead of just saying, this is what's wrong with your world. This is what's wrong with the world. And this is why I don't want to be a part of the world because the world is messed up and I'm going to go hide in my church now. Right. Instead it's like, okay, but this is, this is what's better. Show me what's better. I mean, the world will want to hear what we have to say when we can show them what's better. 
to show them what's better, that means we actually have to have a life transformed by Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm stuck on this um, verse where Paul says, follow my example. And it's like, how, how was Paul able to say that? Because in the, you know, for, for, for the Calvinists who talk about total depravity, it's like, well, don't, don't look at me, look at God. Don't look at me, look at God. And it's like, okay, at this point, it's becoming an excuse, though, man. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not even, you're just like, well, I'm just a piece of garbage saved by grace. And it's like, okay, that's great. But, like, what about the fruits of the Spirit, right? Like, do you, do you believe in the fruits of the Spirit? Because, like, I'm pretty sure the Bible talks about that, and that should be evident in your life if the Holy Spirit's working, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, yeah. And so, like, I, I, I don't know. It's a weird thing because I maybe that's what the humble evangelist looks like is they actually have the fruits of the Spirit. There's love. There's joy. There's peace. There's gentleness. There's self-control. There's, I don't know. I'm going to start rattling off reindeer if I keep going. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, Donner and Blitzen. No. Yeah. But, but man, like it's, it's the Holy Spirit working in us. Um, and it's not about us, right? It's like that humility and just like, man, like it's just, what does God put in your hand? Be faithful with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I you know, it, it's really interesting because I'm, I'm like running through a list of at least a lot of the mainstream pastors that I know of. There's not a whole lot of the fruit of the spirit. When, when you, when you think about when they're going, when they're going out and they're, you know, pl- proclaiming the truth and that sort of thing, a lot, there's a lot of condescension when you think about it. And it's, it's one of those things where, it's like, yes, we should be confident in God's word. We should be confident in the truth. We should be confident in our relationship with God. But at the same time, when we're going out to preach the gospel to the world or just proclaim the truth and whatever that is, we're not going, we shouldn't be going looking down on people. We should be going yeah. talking to them as equals because in all reality, we are, we're, yeah. we're no better than the lost. We're no. no better than the left or the right or whatever it is. We're all the same yeah. except that we're saved. And I yeah. feel like what ends up happening is we see that we see non-Christians as the enemy, like what you were saying before. Yeah. When really they're just the mission field, like stop treating our yeah. mission field as the enemy or else we're always going to be doing battle with them and trying to destroy them. Let's drop the battle and let's see them as our mission field. Well, and I mean, I think part of it, too, is like when we see them as our mission field, it's hard not to be condescending. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I sense that there is value in having a relationship with someone who's not saved. In fact, some of the most formational like moments in my life came from people that were not saved. You know, I, I remember as like a young adult, someone saying to me, John, you're a narcissist man, that sucked to hear someone say that. I don't think any of my Christian friends would have ever said that to me, but he was right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, and so they were saying things that like, it's like, wow, that guy doesn't even have the Holy Spirit and he's speaking truth to me. What's going on? (laughs) But it's like God, God will use people outside of who we think should be, you know, used by God. I mean, like, that's the Bible. 
how many people were used of God that you're like, whoa, why would God use that person? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting is I feel like I'm, and I'm hearing from multiple people and even my life as well, is that a lot of people have been deeply affected by non-Christian relationships than they have with Christian relationships. So then, so then the question then is, is that an indictment on Christians? Is that an indictment on the church? Like, are, are we doing something wrong where the, the Christians aren't able to connect with other Christians for some reason? Like, I, I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, I'm hearing this consistently that Mm -hmm. for, for whatever reason there, people are getting abuse and, uh, condescension from the Christians. And then the non-Christians are actually speaking truth, truth into the life, which should seem backwards. Yeah, it definitely is backwards. And I think when you bring this up, people are like, well, there's sinners in the church and outside the church. We're all human. And it's like, no, you know what? I'm tired of the excuses. Christians, you need to be able to say, follow my example. And part of following your example is walking with integrity. And walking with integrity doesn't mean that when you make a mistake, you cover it up and pretend it didn't. Mm-hmm. With integrity saying, I screwed up. I'm sorry. And I think Paul models that. You know, he says, I have a thorn in my flesh. Right? And he says, you know, I I try to do the right thing, but I don't. Why do I do the things I hate? I mean, that's integrity. And he said, follow my example. He wasn't saying that because he was perfect. He was saying that because he was modeling the type of behavior we should have. Yeah. We deal with our mistakes. And so... I think we mistook that for like, well, we need to, we need to hide our mistakes so that we don't make other people fall. And it's like, no, no, we got to be real. I, I think we need to be more real as Christians. And that's why, you know, it's interesting to me to see, you know, I guess what's really what's happening amongst, you know, Christians that are deconstructing because they're exposing things and, you know, asking questions um, but it, it's amazing to me to see the type of questions they're asking. I mean, there's this movement of church too, right? This hashtag church too, which is like me too, but at the church. Right. And it is shocking to me how many stories there are where you've got these, these people who have been put in the situation where it's like they were abused, but no one believed them or the church told them, just cover it up. Don't talk about it. And it's like, Huh. So these people that are kind of, you know, going out in the fringes. Yeah, I know. I know they're not being biblical. I mean, I know that Rob Bell is questionable. He's saying some weird things. I get it. But what's interesting to me is to see how these people on the fringes are gathering momentum and they're kind of giving people a thread of Jesus to hold on to instead of abandoning their faith completely. And I look at that even and say, is that like maybe a measure of faith that we can work with? Is there is there something we can work with instead of just saying you're following a heretic? Bye. I can't talk to you anymore. Friends off. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, the real Jesus is so much, so much bigger than, you know, our fundamentalism, you know, our, our lists of do's and don'ts are. Man, like I. I feel like we can find 
Christ to a certain mold, depending on what church we go to. So if it's Calvinism, there's that. If it's, you know, charismatic, there's that. I mean, it's really easy to get, you know, kind of caught up in this smoke and light show of the church. And it's like, well, we've got a little lull in our service. We better get them to lay down some pads and maybe maybe a little bit of guitar licks. We've got we've to keep that going, keep that movement going. So, like, what if we just had a quiet moment in church? Like, can we have that? Mm-hmm. Um, there's just, there's formulas to everything. And it's like, I think we need to make room for God to move outside of those formulas a little bit. And, you know, when, when I say, like, man, this is what I'm seeing right now, man. I'm, I have these... I know these people who are, you know, questioning their faith. They're people that are like, I, I don't, I don't believe a word that Paul says. And we're like, okay, well, they're not Christians anymore. It's like, well, hold on here though. They still believe in the words of Jesus. Can we work with that somehow? Mm -hmm. Can, can we see where this goes? Like, can the Holy Spirit work with that? Or do you absolutely have to have every bit of inerrant scripture for the Holy Spirit to work in you. Yeah. Like, I think, I think like where we've started to like draw lines of who's in and who's out, that's where people see the hate from the church. Um, well, there's, there's certain times where now, I feel like it's, there's certain times where I feel like it's appropriate, but I feel like we, we've gone so far the opposite way where we're just labeling mm-hmm. everybody who doesn't agree with our small little tribe as a heretic and they're going to hell. And I feel like that's kind of the problem there. Exactly. 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 And I, I don't know. It's interesting to me because I'm like, I looking at the Bible as a framework, like as a like uh, lens through which I see all of life instead of saying, well, well, that's not possible. It's not, not in the Bible. I'm looking at it and saying, okay, well, this is happening right now. Like, I can't deny this is happening right now. So how can I interpret this through scripture? Because it, I feel like there's people who will deny whatever's going on in real life mm-hmm. because it doesn't fit with their theology. And those people don't have much hope of leading the lost because anybody outside of the faith has no idea how they can believe what they believe. Yeah, no, it's true. You know, and what, what's interesting is like you were kind of talking about before about, you know, guys like Rob Bell and a lot of these people that have been like questioning yeah. their faith in the church and that sort of thing. And yeah. I feel like what what's happened there is that they found problems within the church and then the, yeah. the church has then rejected them. And so they found the right problem. But the problem is, is that they've got the wrong solution. And so then what, what the problem is that you've, yeah. got, you've got the church that's like, well, they're just a bunch of heretics. So we're just going to write them off. And then they no longer are dealing with the actual yeah. right problem that they figured out. Guys like Rob Bell just got yep. the wrong solution and went completely off base. And I right. think that we could actually learn something from these guys in the sense that there's a, there is a problem. Like church too. Is a, is a real thing. I've talked to so many people it is. Um, on yeah. email and Twitter and just having conversations with people that have been abused. I know I know the pastors that have been involved. I know the churches that have been involved. Like, it's legit. It's mm-hmm. real. But what ends up happening yeah. is a lot of times these, ch- these churches do church discipline on these abuse victims to get them to shut up. 
it's nuts. Yeah. And so instead of just it man- is nuts. Instead of manning up and like taking responsibility, taking responsibility and like dealing with it, it's just like, oh, we'll just push him to the side, get him out of the way, and then we just go back to our echo, our echo chamber again. It's politics, hey? Yeah. Like it's. I don't know. It's funny. Um, I don't know if I talked about this with you before, but um, it's watching Stranger Things. Did I talk to you about Stranger Things? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the uh, on, oh, okay. on the on the wax museum, go for it again, and then uh, if you, if you, if, you, <laughs> if, you get, if you get if you guys want to hear it for a second time, go listen to our conversation on the wax museum podcast. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah, no, it's funny. Um, so yeah, I'm watching watching Stranger Things, and I'm looking at the character Eleven, and it's like Eleven, you know, has people in her life that have different ways of looking at her. And on one hand, see, I'm trying to do this without spoilers. Um, (laughs) On one hand, she's got someone saying, hey, stay inside this cabin. Don't go out. Don't use your powers. Um, On the other hand, you got the government that's like, oh, we want that girl. We want her powers. We want to do experiments. We want to use her for whatever ends the government has for it. And then you've got, like, a group of bandits that meet Eleven and are like, oh, you got powers? You could help us rob a bank. And I'm like, I sense that with anybody, you know, who is in a situation where, you know, they're abused, um, where they're questioning their gender identity, they're questioning their sexuality, any people in that situation, you've got a bunch of people telling you what they want you to do with it. And I question, you know, what would happen if nature took its course? What would happen if we actually, you know, walked with people through these journeys, you know, prayerfully, right? Walk through these things with people, with individuals, and see where the Holy Spirit takes us. And obviously, we want the guidance of Scripture. We don't want to just, we got to test the spirits, make sure it is the Holy Spirit. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but when we have simple pat answers for things and just be like, well, if I was in that situation, this is what I'd do. You're not in this situation. You don't know what you would do. I don't think you know what you would do until you get into that situation. Yeah, no, it's true. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. thinking about, um, war, um, today. I know it sounds totally like off topic, but I was thinking (laughs) about war today because, uh, I was talking to this guy about, um, I don't know if you follow hockey, but um, Montreal Canadiens, Toronto Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's a pretty big rivalry between the two teams. And um, this guy explained, he's like, you know you know why there's a big rivalry, right? And I'm like, no. And he's like, because Maurice Rocket Richard was a guy who was supposed to fight in World War II, but he had ankle problems, so he couldn't fight in World War II. Yet, he was tearing up the league league playing hockey. Mm -hmm. So there's all these people in Toronto who saw their superstars go to World War II and fight. And Montreal Canadiens had their star player because he couldn't fight in the war. And it's like, it's easy. Like, how many people would look at this Montreal Canadiens player and say, man, that guy's such a coward. Like, even today, people looking at 
what a coward. Why wouldn't he go and fight? But have you ever been in that situation where you were asked to go fight for your country? Mm-hmm. I haven't. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think I would be like, yeah, that's a brave thing to do. Let's go take out Hitler. He's bad, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't think you know until you're in that situation. And I would say the same thing about all these people that are struggling with all these different things. You know, you don't know until you're in that situation. And I think even you don't know until you've walked alongside of someone who's going through this because so much of this is theoretical. And we love to debate online about the theoretical, but when you put a face to it, it's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think and I think we we can have the biblical principles, and we can even say like X, Y, and Z is right and wrong, right? But but I right. think but I think that yeah. if somebody comes to you and they say and they say that they're struggling with something, or whether it's gender identity, yeah. whether it's homosexuality, whether it's yeah. any kind of sin issue, whatever it is. Clearly, I mean, some of these issues, they are actually sins, but that doesn't mean that we're just right. going to be like, sin, end of story, next, which, which I feel like <laughs> is how most, pe- most people do things. Because if, somebody, if somebody's coming to you, more than likely, they're struggling with it. Either they don't yeah. want to do it, they're wor- they don't know how, you know what's going on, whatever it is. So you kind of have to walk through life with them. And I can't tell you how many people that I've spoken to that are former Christians that, and they'll tell mm-hmm. me that the reason why they aren't a Christian anymore, at least in their mind, is that they were rejected by the church. They would go to the pastor with questions and the pastor would say, just trust mm-hmm. in God. And it's like, yeah. why aren't you just saying, okay, let me do a little bit of study and I'll get back to you next week. You know, but instead they're just yeah. wanting to write everybody off and silence questions, silence dissent, silence you know, if somebody comes and says they're struggling yeah. with homosexuality, it's like, well, we don't want that in our church, so we need to push them off to the side, <laughs> yeah. you know? And I, yeah. I, it's really concerning. Reality is messy, yeah. right? And I think there's some things that we just don't have pat answers to. And I think we should stop pretending that we do, mm-hmm. right? And just be like, I. this is the way I understand it, Right. This is what scripture says. This is the way I understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, man, like conviction though. Like I, I know so many situations where someone has told me, um, you know, something about myself that I did not want to hear. And at first I just hate that person. I'm like, I hate that guy. That guy's a jerk. And it takes me a while, and then it sinks in, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, that hurt really good. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Now looking back on it, it's like it made me who I am today, right? And it's that that progression. But it's almost like like a good back massage that hurts in the moment, right? And it's knowing how hard to press. It's like bending but not breaking, Right. Mm-hmm. I I feel like that's a lot of what we got to do. And that's what evangelism is. That's what that's what doing life together is. Right. It our iron sharpening iron. It's like we're if we're not bending each other, if we're not we're not really doing anything. Right. If we're just echo chambers, there's no growth. There's got to be a little bit of pain so we can have growth. 
And that actually was a big part of Mark Matson's book was he was talking about we need pain to have growth. And we live in a society that is so scared of pain. Yep. And so everything is set up so we can avoid pain as much as possible. You know, it's funny. I'd say I agreed with about 75% of the book. The last 25% uh, of it was just crazy. Like I was like, okay, this dude's an atheist. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like he's very anti-religion, right? Right. But it was it was interesting because it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's like the music thing I was saying. It's like you listen to all kinds of weird bands that it's like, yeah, I would never play music like that. But I do like the way he drums. So I'm going to take that element and put it in my music writing, right? In my in my writing, yeah. And so, you know, and I, I feel like that's how we should approach people is like, okay, all right, what you just said right now, I like that. <laughs> I'm going to use that. That's actually going to be a part of my life mm -hmm. is, is what you just said there, even though the rest of what you said is like totally crazy. And I'm hoping, you know, I'm praying for you, dude. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that there, you know, it's what I call tradesies evangelism is this idea that like you could talk to someone, let them share a piece. And it could be someone like Mark Manson that's like, whoa, that is very wise, very cool. It's too bad you took it there, though. But I could take that. right? Mm -hmm. And I think once we hear people out, they're willing to hear us out. And hopefully we have something to share that's worth hearing. Yeah, true. You know, and, and it's and it's one of those things where it's like i feel like christians they want they want us to be preaching the gospel where like we were saying before with apologetics it's very condescending it's very like i have all the answers yeah like i don't need i don't need to hear from you because you're wrong and and the thing is is that clearly right. as believers we believe that atheists are wrong clearly we believe that any any other religion is a false religion but at the same time right. we still have to treat people like people we still need to actually have yeah. a conversation. And part of that, too, is that if we don't have that conversation, we'll never actually be able to walk through their thought process to be able to get them to the point to where they can realize, mm -hmm. okay, look, here's the gospel and here's the truth. Because if all we do is we, say, is we start with the end result, what about this entire gap of getting them from here all the way to the end result? Instead, we just want to say, well, here's, here's the gospel. Oh, you rejected it? Okay, I'm going to move on to the next person. And it's like, like you were saying, like it's Christianity's messy. <laughs> it really is. It, it's everybody like, wants it's a like clean a, cut. It's like a yeah, it's like a bad Christian movie. Yeah, which most of them are. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, so it's like, what's what's missing from this? Well, it's like, well, they just wanted to take it to this point. It's all about this moment. So mm -hmm. they built the whole movie around this moment. When in reality, what it should have been was about the story. and like, But then you'd have to trust that somehow the story is going to lead to that that moment. Yeah. But we need to do more of that. And I think that's what we're missing is like, okay, well, what is that person's story right now? Right? What is the, what is Levin's story right now? Can we get into that instead of telling her to stay in the cabin or mm -hmm. telling her we want to do experiments on her or trying to use her to rob a bank? You know, like... What is her story? I mean, I think, that's, I think that's what's missing. And so Eleven, again, it's back to the gifted thing. She's gifted and afflicted. And it's like, so how do we help her walk through that? Because I really believe that every human being is gifted and afflicted. 
And so it's like, so we see the affliction, can we find the gift? We see the gift, can we see the affliction, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like, there's just two-sided source to these things. And we've got some incredibly, incredibly cynical people, incredibly hurt people. And it's like, can we somehow meet them where they're at and find out what the Holy Spirit's trying to teach us? through that person right now and will the Holy Spirit give us opportunity to then teach them but if we start with what we want to teach there's no way we're going to walk with humility yeah yeah well and, and again like we were saying before it's like we, we take we take what we believe but we still have to throw it against somebody else not that's probably the wrong wrong term mm-hmm. but like we still have to put it into a debate and put it into conversation to see if it actually holds up and again, that's that's part of what we're yeah. missing too. Um, what I was going to say because you were bringing up the yeah, absolutely. Uh, what I was going to say on a slightly different topic, but you were bringing up the the crappy uh, Christian movies. I was I was going to say that uh, you know because I've, yeah. I've I've been in talks with a few different people to get into you know like producing films and that sort of thing. And and one of the conversations mm-hmm. that I keep having with people are the problem with Christian movies is that they're they're making it so blatantly obvious through the entire film that this mm-hmm. is a Christian movie and it's so hardcore Christian movie that no non-Christian will ever see it. <laughs> yeah. But then they all supposedly compromise yeah. the gospel or yeah. water it down in, in hopes that a non-Christian will go see it. It's like a non-Christian isn't going to go see God's not dead. I'm sorry. It's just the way that it yeah. is. Uh, as opposed to what, yeah. if, what if you had a movie where, well, let me back up a little bit. The secular world the way they write their movies is they write a story and then they put all of their beliefs into the subtext, right? And so right. basically for like two hours, yes. you have to assume that whether it's global warming or whether it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, atheism is true or X, Y, and Z, you have to believe that for two hours in order to make sense of the movie. Yes. Why don't Christians do that? Yes, I like that. Because then yep, if, you, if you have an action movie... But it it happens that that your lead guy is a Christian, but maybe the the yeah. the storyline isn't that it's a, a Christian movie, but he's a Christian in there. You could easily portray the gospel very clearly if done that way. But if you do it where yeah. here's a movie and we're going to preach the gospel to you and we're going to you know talk about theology and this, it's like no non Christian is ever going to go see it. So what's the point of you yeah. making the movie? <laughs> Oh, man, yeah. And it's like arts communicate emotion. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the emotional argument. And it's the thing that we're like, well, no, we don't believe in emotions anymore. Right. We've moved past that. The left believes in emotions. We don't believe in emotions. Mm-hmm. And it's like that is such um, malarkey. <laughs> Good choice of words. <laughs> Sorry, I'm out in the oil industry right now. I have to pause before I say something. Yeah. Um Right. And, you know, it was funny. I had a friend on Twitter that's just like, well, here's the thing is like, I'm I'm just bringing I'm just bringing the truth. And these people are just bringing emotion to the table. And I'm like, dude, you're not all truth. Like you there's emotion there. You've got to recognize that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're never going to get through to people. And, um, I mean, it goes back to that whole facts don't care about feelings. And it's like, yeah, but feelings don't care about facts. Like if you're not, if there's not going to be 
heart to your argument and it's just going to be facts. It's like without love, you're a clanging gong, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like that, that emotion has to be there. And I think we need to be aware of that and emotion speaks. And that's what the world is doing in so many ways to influence our thinking. Yeah. And I, I love that fact. And I, I think it was that actor friend of yours. Mm-hmm. You should say his name right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name again? Was was it? uh, It was. Well, I've had two actors on my show. I've got Ian Giotti and uh, Carl Crew. So not. It was Giotti. I haven't heard Carl Crew. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely Giotti. I thought it was him that brought that up. That whole idea that, like, in order for you to watch a movie, they have to get you to buy into buy into a bunch of premises that are in the movie, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like socialism is good. Okay, let's start with socialism is good. All right. Now you're ready for the movie, right? Yeah. And it's like so it's that idea that the arts speak. Oh my gosh. This is like this is like a again. Um he said that there's like there's things that are like obvious truths, like gravity. We're mm-hmm. not going to debate that, right? right. Um you know, um, the world being round, I know some people will debate that, but there's just some things that like are just, just blatantly obvious. Okay, we know that, right? And he said, so that's that's kind of the core of truth. And he's like, outside of that, oh, I love that this is video. Yeah. <laughs> I've done this. I've said this so many times on an audio podcast, right? Yeah. So there's like a core truth. And he's like, outside of that, there's like this dreamlike reality of stuff that we, well, we think it's true. We're not 100% sure, but we think it's true, right? And he said, ideologies take all this dreamlike reality and make it look like it's a core truth. So it's like, well, I'm a socialist. Therefore, all of this stuff works. Really doesn't. Yeah. I'm a capitalist. Therefore, all of this stuff works. It really doesn't. Like, it doesn't completely work, we have to admit. Right? And so so there's kind of these ideologies that, that take dreamlike reality and make it look like it's solid. When it really isn't like this, those systems fail at some point. Right. And he said, but when you talk about the dreamlike reality, you know, what really is illustrates the dreamlike reality properly is the arts. So when you talk about like your movie ideas, it's Mm -hmm. like, well, that's it. Because when we talk about spirituality, when you talk about real life, it's not well illustrated through a system. It's well illustrated through some kind of an artistic expression that appeals to the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true, and I and I think and I think the other side of it too is that it, it actually makes you think. Like like if if you're just hearing somebody just mm-hmm. spout off a list of do's and don'ts or a list of theologies that you need that you need to believe, it doesn't really make you think. It's just like you're either like I agree with that or I don't agree with that. Whereas if you are actually watching something and it's going through the process and you're seeing somebody wrestle with this issue or whatever it is, you're like, what would I do yeah. in that situation? You know, it's like, like, like yeah. when, I, when I watch movies, I start to think, okay, it's like, if I'm in that situation, would I do that or would I do something different? Like you, you start to yeah. wrestle with that kind of stuff. And I think Christians could wrestle with stuff a little bit more. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that would show our integrity. 
Okay, well, you know, I think, you know, kind of as we're, as we're beginning to kind of, you know, close and wrap up and that sort of thing, I mean, when we're, when we're dealing with this, I feel like we, we've got a lot of things where Christians could be wrestling with things more. Uh, you know, I feel like I wish that we weren't quite so polarized. Yeah. I feel like we can, we could be polarized with our belief system, yeah. but just in the sense of like interacting with each other. I mean, when, when you're, when you're telling somebody, okay, like here's the solution to this. What, what are you going to, what, what do you feel like we should be advising people? Would it be sorry? Say that again. Oh, I was gonna say. So if you, here's if you, the solution. So if, if you're gonna be advising people, like, what's the solution? Like, what what would you tell people? Okay, how do how do we bridge this gap? How do we not be so polarized? Ah, uh, I I think that curiosity and humility is a big part of that. But what's scary about that is that curiosity and humility means that you might have to find out that you're wrong about some things. Yep. But is, is, is what you believe in, like, is what you believe in true enough that nothing will destroy it, right? Like that you could actually hear some out, someone out, put yourself in their shoes and still say, yeah, you know, Jesus is still the answer to what you're going through. And it's like, you know what? He is. He is, and don't be scared. Like, don't be afraid to put yourself in that position where you're fully understanding why that person left the church. Um, I gotta say, a great book I would recommend, Ex Christian by Drew Dick. Mm -hmm. um, he actually went um, and talked to a bunch of people that left the faith and found out why they left the faith. And he gives um, advice on how to approach those people because there are like postmodernists, there are people that were hurt by the church, there are people that just drifted because they couldn't keep up the holy lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. There's all these and it's different approaches for each of them, and I'm like, that's so interesting. Um, but it's like that genuine curiosity. Um, I, I just think curiosity is such a big part of it. Because when you're curious, you're automatically humble. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 that is that is a good way to put it for sure. Um, so uh, if people are gonna people want to follow you and check out your podcast, which I highly recommend because it is it is entertaining and you can hear my conversation with him on his podcast as well. <laughs> how how can people find you and and uh, in, in your couple of shows? You could probably hit all of this on Twitter. Um, we've got. At ADD Masterminds, spelled the way it sounds. Uh, <laughs> um, follow me on at Johnny Howe. Actually, if you follow me at Johnny Howe, it's in my bio anyways, the two podcasts. Very That's cool. the easiest way. Yeah, for sure. And, and it, it's for people to know, what what are what are the, the themes and the focuses of your two different podcasts? So ADD Masterminds is everything but politics. <laughs> we don't touch on <laughs> politics, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, actually, I found that it was like a great, it's refreshing. Um, I find it refreshing to record them. Um, ADD Masterminds got a very weird format. Um, it's, it is what it sounds like. Um, we basically talk about a topic for five minutes and then we segue into the next one. <laughs> and so it's like, it's pretty exhausting um, to listen to, I'm sure. 
Um, I listen to it when I'm editing, but I, I don't know what it's like for the actual listener. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I've been heard, I've heard that it's a very interesting format to listen to anyways. And, you know, it's, it, we'll go from like deep theological to just something ridiculous. Like, do you talk to your plants? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, I have a blast always with that one. Um, the wax museum is more, um, we're willing to talk about politics. Um, I, I like to approach it from different angles and find guests that have varying points of view. Um, so I've had I've had progressives and conservatives and even a dinosaur on my podcast. So yeah, yeah, I I, I did hear the one with the dinosaur. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And really, the premise of that one is like we're just throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks. Yeah. And so it's just kind of like I'm throwing it up there. We don't have easy answers. Life is complicated, and we're just kind of seeing where it goes. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I, yeah. I, I feel I feel like at a certain point that, that that's the that's the joy of having these kinds of podcasts. You you, you can really do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think we just did. Yeah, sounds good. Well, I, I really I really appreciate you coming on, and you know, it was it was fun having this conversation, and we'll, we'll definitely have to do it again sometime. Definitely, yeah. would love to. Yeah, definitely. Sounds good. So everybody, make sure you guys follow follow him over there over on Twitter and check out his podcast and. Uh, you guys will really enjoy it. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org.